Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Josh, we just, uh, welcome. Great to have you guys here today. So glad you're with us. If you're a guest, uh, we're Pacific Point Church. Uh, We're a group of Christians that are just learning to live and love like Jesus. And uh, we believe in relationship, we believe in Jesus, and we're, we're excited you're here with us this morning. Uh, we've got a lot that has been going on, and uh, we just finished a series on biblical worldview. It was, I think it was eight weeks, it seemed like about a year, but it was eight weeks. Um, I highly recommend maybe go back and grab a few of those and listen to them. But now we're kicking off into the book of James, and the book of James uh, is, is one of my favorites. It is a, is a great uh, obviously, the Bible is, is from the totality, but there's something about this, and we'll explain. But over the next uh, two, three months, we're going to be diving into the book of James. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I do put the, uh, the, the scriptures on the slides, but I, I do encourage you to bring your Bibles. You know, it's crazy to think the pastor's asking people in the church to bring their Bibles to church, isn't it? I mean, what does it come to? Who do I think I am? Asking you to bring your Bibles. Um, we're going we're gonna to read from this, this scripture as we get going. And it says this, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have a full, its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word, that it's alive and active. God, speak to us today. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, God. But even as we saw in that video and we're getting ready to tackle through, God, let us be doers of your word. Oh God, that this relationship with the creator of heaven and earth would move us into this place of 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 being Christians. Father, speak to us this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So this this series, there's some overarching themes that we have in there. And and the the, the key theme is faith and works, that, that you can't separate the two. That when you come into this saving grace and faith with Jesus, there's this just something that you do that you can't help yourself but do. And James really hits on that. And the perspective is this, that we feel the weight of that. What I mean by that is is this. James was the first book written since Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. There's about a 500-year period between Malachi and James. And, And it doesn't, shouldn't be beyond us to wonder why that would happen. And why would James be that first book that is written? And uh, when we look at it and why it's important, it's of first importance to the church today and then. James empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to encourage the readers to live consistently with what they have learned in Christ. It's that tension between the be and do. 
You know, that tension between, well, I've got to do all these things in Christ and, and, and just being in Christ and where that comes together. Now, let me give you an example of what that looks like with this woman, my wife. Have you guys met my wife? She's an amazing woman. But, but there's this be and do in our relationship of husband and wife. There's this, you know, it's, it's not just, hey, I'm Chris's husband. There's, there's something that goes along with that. You know what goes along with that? A name that we share. You know what goes along with that? By the grace of God, faithfulness in our relationship that we share. What goes along with that is this, that who she is out there and who I am out there is a representation of who we are as God has called us to one. It's the same thing with Jesus in our relationship with him. It doesn't just stop at a name. It goes beyond into the be and do. The foundation and what we see the writer is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And it's interesting we say half-brother because why? Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and God in the virgin birth. Uh, he's writing to the believers outside of Palestine. And it's about a, about a decade um, after Jesus' death. So it kind of gives you a, a little foundation of what's going on. The book of James, understanding that works don't save us. Look, there is nothing you can do to get to heaven. There's no work you can do. It's the saving grace of Jesus. Saved by grace through faith that no man should boast. There's nothing you can do. It's what Jesus did on the cross. Rather, good works follow true faith as our belief and actions line up with each other. It, it, it looks like this, what we say and what we do. You can't discriminate between the two. You can't, you can't even read that. You shouldn't be able to look at a Christian and say, is he really a Christian? You, we shouldn't be able to see the church and say, are they really acting like the church? It should all be intertwined together. And what we should see is someone who proclaims that they're a believer in Christ Jesus and someone who feeds the poor. What we should see is someone says that I'm a Christian, that I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and someone that has a joy in their heart in the midst of difficulty. What we should perceive is someone who says, Jesus is my Savior, and someone who loves their neighbors well. It, it does, it, there's no separation. And James starts off here, and he starts in 1-1, and he says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Now, you look at that verse and you go, hey, you know, how do you preach on that? I mean, it just, it's kind of this intro thing, you know. But, but why is James 1, 1 so important? It is, it is foundationally important because in John 5, 7, 5, what we see is that James didn't really think Jesus was the Messiah. What we see is that James, his brother, said, I'm not so sure that he is the Savior. There's this kind of denial of who he is. This kind of, he, you're not really who you say you are. But then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that Jesus appears, and he appears to the apostles, he appears to James. So he, he's doing something there that's so important. So in this introduction, there's something that important that is happening. God always restores before he sends. He calls your name, he restores you in who you are in Christ Jesus, then he sends you out. But there's this restoration. James is like, I'm not so sure that is the God that you guys are talking about. It's my brother. Can you imagine if your brother told you he was the Savior? 
you're probably along the same lines as James. You're crazy. But the God restores him and comes to him after the resurrection. How do we know that James had an encounter with the risen Christ? How do we know that, that what he says in this book is, is, is true and important? Because in verse 1 he says, James, a he's speaking of himself. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of the dispersions and greeting. What does he say? Christians are scattering and running in the church at this time. They're being persecuted. But James didn't run. He stayed right where he was at. Why did he stay right where he was at? Because he knew who he was. He knew who he was in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm a bondservant, a slave to God and the Father and Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is this significant? Because he couldn't do what he was called to do by God having not recognized and given the, the, uh, attributed it to God the Father and the Son Jesus. So why is it as a church we say, I'm a Christian, but rarely do we recognize God the Father and Jesus? Why, why, why is there this line in our lives at the church? Well, James says, well, I want to tackle that. I want to wrestle with that. James establishes who he is in Christ, and he comes out of the gate strong. I love this. Like, if, if I'm writing the book of James, I just introduce myself and tell you, you know, Jesus, God, I believe he's, you know, I am I'm sent by him. My first, you know, letter would be something a little more relaxed, like, why don't you come over and have dinner? My letter would be something like, let's hang and have a cigar. If I truly smoke cigars, which we all know I don't. If, come on, come on. Kevin gave up cigars, um, and well, I got a story about that. So Kevin gave up cigars and uh, and any liquor for a year. So usually when he comes over, we'll come over and we'll have a cigar and we'll have a glass of uh, brandy or bourbon or whatever it is. And he said, "But I've given up cigars and I've given up any whiskey or hard liquor for a year." I said, "That's all right. We'll have cigarettes and beer." <laughs> We, get, we can get around this thing, can't we? That didn't go over so well. Chris said, I'm in. <laughs> James comes out of the gate strong. I mean, I mean, he just, right in your face, right off the bat. He, he says this in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy when you come into difficulties in life. Count it joy when your life is going off the rails. Count it joy when your kids are going squirrely. Count it joy when your husband, your wife, your significant other isn't acting like your significant other. Count it joy when you lose your job. Count it joy when you got no more money. He comes out right away, just like right in your face. Punches us right in the mouth and he begins this profoundly challenging command. He says that we should find joy in bad things happening to us. Dear God, have you ever wondered, how do you do that? Have you ever thought, usually our thoughts are this, there can't be a God or this wouldn't be happening. It's not, okay, let me find the joy in this. 
James doesn't command Christians to feel happy when, when trials come. He's not saying, look, you know, you, you got to do jumping jacks and throw a party. And, and he's not talking about that. He tells us to call it joyful, to label it worth rejoicing over. Let, let's look a little bit at the difference between joy and happiness. Joy is in the heart. It's, there's, it's in the soul that comes from this relationship with Jesus. Happiness is on the face. Joy is in the, of, of the soul. Happiness is in the moment. Joy is transcends. Happiness reacts. Joy embraces peace and contentment, waiting to be discovered. Joy is pro, uh, profound and transformational. Happiness is momentary. Look, this is the way I look at it. The root word of happiness is happenstance. You know what that means? For most people, their happiness is contingent upon what is going on in the moment. What happens to them in the moment. Happiness is determined by, am I having a good day? Did I get a flat? Did I not get a flat? It's determined by, was Chris nice to me or was she not nice to me? It's a rough one. It's determined by all of these outside circumstances where joy is a consistent Death in our soul, regardless of what we're experiencing, what we're going through. Here's the key. He's not talking about our immediate emotional response to a flat tire or an illness. I got COVID. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how we categorize the moment when assessing our life as a whole, as a Christian. He's talking about how you walk as believers. How the world perceives you as a Christian. Do they look at your life and go, I don't know that I want that. Or do they look at your life and go, how in the midst of that does he do this? Our good friend Mark. I told him I was going to talk about him today. So, And at some point he's going to come up and give his testimony. He has been a hero to me for the last year. He's been a hero to a lot of us going through brain cancer, having his brain cut out. Now he's a hockey player. He wasn't smart before. We didn't have a lot of room. We didn't have a lot of margin there. You know what I mean? But I, I would, I would, we would talk daily during what he was going through and, and, and he just, his, his faith, his trust of God. There, there was a, a, something that you couldn't explain, that you couldn't write, that you couldn't conjure up. There's something in his soul that, that God was doing. He's in the midst of life and death trial. Most people are going, I don't want that God. I can't believe in a God like that. And then, then, then what James is talking about, what, what, what this man is going through is, it, it is, it is you, God. This relationship grows with God. See, most people see trials as negative. Oh, a trial. And we don't believe joy can exist in the midst of hardship. Most of us look at trials in a negative way. But James kind of flips it on its ear and says, let's, let's look at this a little differently. Let's look at the opportunity that God is bringing your way. Too many Christians Consider the hard times as God is mad at us. Or this, he's, this is punishment for my sake. Have you ever thought that? 
How does God let this? God is just mad at me right now. He's punishing me for being something. You ever wrestle with that? James tell us this, that, that our hardships really are opportunities to grow, that our difficulties that you're going, some of us are going through a difficulty right now. Some of us are right in the middle of it. And James says, it's a time, it's an opportunity to grow in Christ Jesus, to mature, to be more like Jesus. And the question I'm going to ask is, 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 do you feel sorry for yourself? Do, do we w- walk around, uh, woe is me? Or, or do we look for the opportunity, as my friend Mark has, and many of you have, to go, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press into you. Because at the end of the day, that's all I got. Paul says we meet trials of various kinds. Now, I, I want to I look at this, because this needs to be really clear. There are various kinds of trials that we engage there's broken world, there's God allows, and there's bad decisions. I want to dif- differentiate these three because many times as Christians, we get them mixed up and it, it can really mess up your theology. What do I mean by that? Broken world trials is this. Based out of Genesis 3, what happens in Genesis 3, as you know, bite comes out of the apple, the world starts to break down. At that moment, it goes from being perfect to brokenness. At that moment... We go from no disease, no pain, no suffering, no, no, no one's stealing nothing, no one's jacking anything, no one, all these things. There's no rape, there's no pillage, there's none of those things. It's perfect. Genesis 3, she takes a bite. We come into broken world trials. So Paul, when he's talking about trials in broken world, he's talking about sickness. He's talking about uh, what what. Many people in here go through what Mark, what, what uh, you know, uh, Jake, my friend, what my mom, other people go through sickness-wise. The world is broken, and when it was broken, disease came in. That's a trial that Paul is talking about. But he's also talking about God allows trials. What does that look like? It looks like Job 1, 6 through 22. Well, the enemy comes and says, hey, this guy Job, he only loves you, God, because... He's got everything in the world. God goes, I don't think so. He says, in fact, go and run him through some trials. The only thing you can't do is take his life. You know the story. They're, they're the trials that Job goes through that, that God allows in your life. He doesn't create them. He allows them. Be very careful about that. He does not create. He allows Here's the last one. This is where we usually get into, get into trouble. Bad decision trials. What does a bad decision trial look like? A bad decision trial looks like, hey, I'm an idiot. I slept with someone I wasn't married to. A baby was produced. Now I'm mad at God because I have a baby. Huh? It's a trial, but it ain't a God trial. Although God can be with you in it and restore it. It's a bad decision trial. A bad decision trial is a choice that I make that leads me into something that sucks that I like to blame God for. And you got to look in the mirror and go, no, 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 no. This is all on me. This is all. a lot of bad decision trials. Here's the beauty. We can't control two of the three. The only one we can really control is the bad decision uh, trials. But here's the beauty. With all three we can grow in our relationship with Christ. With all three, God can, even in the midst of bad decision trial, God can bless. I know this 
personally. I've seen it time and time again. I've talked about it. We lost our house in 2011, whatever it was. Bad decision trial. I'm the dummy who bought a house in 2007 for way too much money. And I'm sure there's no other idiots out there other than me. Okay? I am that guy. I've forgiven, redeemed, all those things. But, but the bad decision, in the midst of the bad decision, I said, God, I, I, I made a bad decision. Help. I watch God meet our needs from a free house for 10 months to a phenomenal house for five years to the house we're in now that we're renting. I watch God again and again and again meet our needs in the midst of my foolishness. God is still faithful if you'll humble yourself. Some of you are walking through bad decision trials right now. See, here's the prayer in a bad decision trial. Everything that we do in life produces fruit. So when you do something, you're sowing a seed. Fruit comes forth. In a bad decision trial, the prayer that we pray is this. God cut short the harvest of the fruit that we sowed in our foolishness. If you're walking in the middle of a trial right now that was a bad decision trial, your prayer, prayer of humility that says, oh God, have mercy on me. What did that mean, Kevin? Come on. Not getting what you deserve. You told us earlier. Have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve because what I deserve is this. I deserve to live on the street for being stupid and making a bad decision. But God, you don't give me that. You give me grace and mercy. And some of us in here today need to pray that prayer over some decisions. Some of us need to forgive and ask forgiveness and have God restore because you've made, made some bad decisions. And the trial that you're going through is one you can't get out of, but God wants to bring you out of it. I love the fact that even in my ineptness, God is still faithful. God is still faithful. Verse three, he goes on. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verses two, three, and four, all, all, they all tie together. And they need to be considered together. They need to be uh, uh, fully grasped to the point that James is making. They have to be, you can't just parse them out. There's the totality of what the scripture says um, is, is important here. In verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James gives the beginning of the answer to why God would ask us to count it as joy. He's, he gives this answer to us. He says the answer is this, faith. The answer is, is faith. That's what he says. Now, it, 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 it's beyond me that so many Christians, including myself, walk around with such little faith. And, and, and James says, is establishing something here. He's establishing the church. And he says, faith is this foundation that God is calling us to. Faith. Life is a question of faith. What I'm going to believe. Who I'm going to believe in. About four or five weeks ago, I did, did a message and had that chair up here, if you remember it correctly, and, and talked about who is on the throne. Who do you believe is on the throne in your life? Are you on the throne or is Jesus on the throne? The life question that we have to ask has to do with faith. Who are you going to put your faith in? Me or him? You or him? Where's your faith going? It, it, it's a constant battle that we walk in. Going from, I want to put my faith in me? I don't know. I want to put my faith in Jesus? No. See, it's usually those things that, that we hold dearest that we put our faith in ourselves. 
that relationship that, that you're waiting for, that, that financial breakthrough that you're waiting for, that you're pressing in. I'm going to put my faith in me. Now, what I established uh, time and time again in this church, and I talk about regularly, is, is this. And my example this week is this. I could not figure out if T-O-O goes in a certain place or just T-O goes there. I know. I know. English brilliant, English teacher. I don't know. I know you've said that. I know it's painful for you for me to say. I know it's painful, but I'm just telling you, I can't figure out T-O-O and T-O, yet you want me to figure out how to save my life. Absolutely foolish. I can't conjugate any verb. I don't even know what that means. I say it because it sounds good. I don't even know what it means to conjugate a verb. Sorry, I didn't go to USC. I have other qualities. Thank you. I, I can't, can't spell. I can't, I can't conjugate. Who, how do I put my trust in me? I look at my history and some of the decisions that I made. Look, I'm not talking about condemnation. I am free in Christ Jesus. I'm not walking the condemnation of it. I'm just giving you examples, literally. But, but, but I, I have a track record, and a track record's really important because the track record tells me who I should trust in, Jesus or me. And when I look at my track record, and I look at my decisions, and I look at the things that have happened in my life, and then I look over here, and I look at God's track record, and I look at Jesus' track record in my life, and I go, there's really not a choice. There's only one track I want to run on. Yet I find myself time and time again sitting on that throne. Even though I know, even though I see, I go, ah, I'm back. He's back. And James is, is, is saying, you're wrestling and you're in these trials and, 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 and all this is going on in your life and, and get off the throne. And let Jesus be the one that you trust in. Let him be the one. Trials and faith. See, trials create moments where we don't know how things will work out. Faith creates moments where we don't have to know. I don't have to know. That's a tough one. I don't have to know because I'm a control freak. I want to know. I don't have to know. Trials wreck our plans. Trials destroy what we thought it was going to look like. Faith enables God's plan to work. Trials take away our ability to see the clear path to getting what we think will make us happy. Faith rearranges what we thought happiness was. When I walk in the faith of, of, of this this book and, and Jesus and what he's called to me, it rearranges my thought process of what I thought happiness was. It takes me out of and off of the throne and puts me in this place where there's a joy that is, doesn't make sense in the midst of chaos. It, it, it doesn't add up. Well, yeah, I'll come back to that. It's in those trial moments that we make the most critical choices of faith. It's in the midst of those difficult trials. And, and, and this is what James is getting at. He's like, this Jesus, this God, you know, the one I doubted was the Savior. 
that I now know is the Savior? He's like, when you experience these trials, rejoice. There's a joy. We tend to say things like, if God let this happen to me, how could I trust him? Now, here's what I found as we talked about different trials. I, I, and I'm just making up statistics, but it seems this way. You know, 70, 80% of the, of the bad choice trials, we say things like this. If God will let that happen to me, how can I trust him? And the reality is we just need to look in the mirror. We just need to look at our life and what we did. And we say things like, I can't believe in a God who would allow fill in the blank. Whatever fill in the blank. I can't believe in a God that would allow that. That's, that's, I'm amazed at how many Christians speak this way. And James goes, the first importance, no, 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 church, church, church. Trials are coming. Difficulties are coming. Or what we can do is we find out who Jesus really is. See, that, that's like Mark I've known for now 15, 17 years when we started this church. And uh, he's found Jesus and who Jesus is in a whole new way because of a trial. That, that, that is, yeah, well, that happens in so many of our lives. The question that James is ultimately asking us is this, is Jesus enough? Talk about this often. Ultimately what James is saying, is Jesus enough in the midst of your trial? He either is or he isn't. Is Jesus enough? There's two ways we can get here. I've experienced both. One is through an intimate relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus enough? Two is God allow circumstances to drive you to your knees. What's, what's interesting to me is in my hard-headedness and foolishness, I, I was in the ministry for 20-some years. thought, I'm a pastor. I understand these principles. And I really didn't to the extent that God wanted me to. And about seven years ago hits. And, and our lives seemingly start to unravel. I'm a pastor. I gave up everything for him. Why is my life unraveling right now, perceived? God allows circumstances to drive us to our knees. We, we, you get, many of you know this, I'll repeat it, but just, just pretend like you never heard <laughs> Some of you haven't. In, in a, a period of about four or five years, we lost a house, we lost a church. We uh, gained a grandbaby that we weren't expecting from a high schooler. Um, a son who dealt with drug abuse. They're on the streets. Not knowing if the next call would be the police saying he's locked up, or the next call would be from the coroner saying, Sorry, Mr. Blue. And, 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 and I, I, I've been in the ministry for 20 years. I know Jesus. I've experienced Jesus. And something, something different about that moment in trusting him that I, I'd never experienced before. Because literally, 
There's times we couldn't get out of bed. And uh, there's times where I didn't want, we didn't want to get out of bed. And there's times we didn't get out of bed. <laughs> and and it, 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 it wasn't this moment of trial that, that James is talking about that, that hit our family so smack in the middle. Some of you are writing it right now. I, I know your stories. Some of you are, it just smacked us in the face. We're the Brady Bunch, minus the divorce and adding kids. But we're, you know, we're, we're this, how, this, how does this happen to us? And we're in the middle of this trial. And what we realized was this. We had to ask ourselves that question. Is Jesus enough? I'm like, wait a second, I'm a pastor. 20 years in this thing. I'm asking myself, is Jesus enough? It's a trial that I wouldn't want anybody to go through. But it's a trial looking back now, I go, oh God, thank you for your faithfulness. And what we realized, Jesus is enough. See, there's two ways you go through this. One is just digging into God's word and finding him and having this intimate relationship with him. But there's something about trials that we go through in life that when we go through them, we meet Jesus in a new way. As my good friend Mark did. As I did. And and I, I use the contrast because Mark's not a pastor. I am. But we both met Jesus in a new way going through a difficult trial. See, that's what James is talking about right here. When we reconcile this one question, is Jesus enough in our hearts? We we walk in the joy that James says that God wants us to walk in. And for some of us, it's learned. For most of us, it's learned by the circumstance that God allows us to walk through. Verse four, he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, I like that, lacking in nothing. Just, that, it's powerful. I, I looked up steadfastness. What, is it, what does it mean? The quality of being resolute or dutiful, firm and unwavering. No side wins without steadfastness in the face of adversity. No side wins without the steadfastness in the face of adversity. I've yet to see a Christian win who isn't steadfast in their faith because the waves come and the trials come and it rocks your world. And if you don't have a steadfastness to keep you ground in this word and who Jesus is, what I find is they end up in a ditch. No one wins this race without the steadfastness in the face of adversity. The quality of, quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. We walk in the steadfastness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, everything that I'm talking about is experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit. What Chris and I walked through wasn't unique to the world. There's plenty of people that have walked through that and worse. But what is unique to the Christian and the believer is that we have this encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit that changes us. Changes you. And so many of us that know Jesus are trying to walk this walk, walk through these trials without the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, without Jesus guiding them. They think that they're super Christians. There's no such thing. They think they're 
whatever they think they are. But God says, right, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives in me. It allows me to walk through the trials. But not just walk through the trials. Walk with this joy. And, 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 and there, there's a joy that we can walk in, Chris and I, because of who Jesus is. How do we do that? By surrendering. There's, there's no easy way. I, I remember a number of days during that time of just on my face going, I quit. I'm not a quitter. I hate to lose. I'd usually rather die than lose. Part of my problem, full of pride. I, but I found myself in this position. I know my wife found herself in this position of, I quit. The quitting was this. I quit trying to control this situation. God, I quit trying to make it right. Oh God, I quit trying to, 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 to be the answer. And then it was followed by, now I need you. I need you, Jesus. It's that the, the surrendering of, look, I can, I can choose me or I can choose God. And it's this, I, at that moment, I didn't have any choices. I'm on my face because I'm in the middle of this trial that I don't know what's going to happen. So literally, God just pushed me to this place. And, and you could go another way and get bitter and, and, and fall out of faith. And I've seen that. But I, I know, I, I just on our faces, oh, God, okay, we quit. We're done. And he just said, okay, here we go. As, as I, I remember it clearly waking up and, 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 and morning after morning after morning, just going, I quit. I quit. I'm done. Okay, God, you're going to have to get my out of this bed. Okay, God, you're going to have to get me through this day. Okay, God, you're going to have to help this woman. Okay, God. I just surrendered. Here's part of the problem. I mean, I'm seven years out of that. I wake up every morning and say, I surrender. But God's saying, I need you to surrender each and every day. We have to stop trying to control our trials and trust the one who knows. We have to stop looking for happiness and rest in the joy. See, in my mind, happiness was everything's perfect. Everything's together. But it's, it's an illusion. It's not true. I've seen some of the most put-together people be some of the most jacked-up people. It's a lie. Joy comes in my relationship with Jesus, knowing that in the midst of the trial, He's enough for me. He's enough. We've got to stop chasing and start trusting. Where are you looking for your joy today? Hebrews 12, 2 says this. I love this scripture. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Hold on. He's going into the greatest trial anyone has ever gone through. 
He's hanging on a cross, dying for our sins. But it says, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy set before me before he even went to the cross, the joy that was in his soul, because you're going to go into a trial at some point in the next whatever, the joy set before him endured the cross. It's that joy that he experienced, that relationship with the Father that allowed him to endure the cross. So if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not in any trials, life's pretty good, I got a bunch of cash, I got the right chick, the right guy, I got it all together right now, get ready. <laughs> and the scripture tells me this, that as I learn to walk in the joy of the Lord, and the intimacy that I have with the Lord today, when I go into that trial, I endure the cross of that trial. The church could just get it. If I could just get it. If we could just grab a hold of that. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I, look, look, and, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I, the shame of being crucified. He's supposed to be the Savior, and he's on a cross dying. It says, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you in a trial? Are you in a trial of life? If you're not, press into this word. Press into Jesus. Because one's coming. I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that... Sarcastically, I don't say that. I say that because, let me just say, life sucks many times. And too many Christians are trying to avoid, you're, you're trial avoidance. I don't want to go, you know, they're trying to avoid trials. And James says that the point of our lives is an all-out effort to avoid trials. That's, you know, you're not going to put your boy in the plastic bubble. You remember that? You can't, you can't do that. You can't live in a plastic bubble. They come and they go. But those who know the Lord, those who are intimate with Jesus, those who have that joy, they seem to come out on the other side. Instead, what we should be doing is we should allow God to do what he wants to do. He wants to create us, and he wants us to be mature and strong in him and in our faith. That's what God wants. Uh, James finishes with this. The one who can trust God without stopping, no matter how terrible the trial, will have arrived at perfection and complete maturity. Jesus said this, life's going to be difficult. There's no way around it. Paul said it. Peter said it. James is saying it. Jesus said it. Life is going to be difficult. I have these things to say to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Is Jesus enough? That's the question we've got to reconcile. And who are you going to trust? Who are you trusting today? Who have you put your trust in? Have you put Jesus on the throne or are you hanging out on the throne? Who is your trust in? See, perspective is everything. I now try to look at trials that let me know that God's growing me. Because trials 
push me to Jesus. They don't push me away. They push me to Jesus. And if trials in your life are pushing you away from Jesus, you better get on your face and humble yourselves. Lastly, trials are an opportunity for others to see Jesus in me. Look, this whole thing called life, I don't know if you know this, it ain't about you. Ha! I love, I wish it was all about me. And sometimes I believe it's all about me. And I act like it's all about me, but it ain't about me. It's about others. It's about the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and died for my sins, that I might have a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit so that I might touch a neighbor, touch a coworker, touch a family member, touch someone that God has called me to cross paths with, that they might have the hope of Jesus and see it in me so much so that they might ask, how are you doing that in the midst of that difficulty? And you're saying, Jesus, I'm on my face, Jesus. Because he's called us to be the hands and feet. He's called us to be his hands and feet. We, throughout this year, this has been our, our, our main, uh, Kevin, as you, wanna, as you come up here, is what we've been saying as a church. Word, pray, worship day. Simplicity of the gospel is the beauty of the gospel, is the complexity of the gospel. And the simplicity is this. I, I just need to show up and read his word expect him to speak to me, pray in these conversations with Jesus, worship through music and through words each and every day, walking in this relationship, walking in this relationship with Jesus. That's what he's called us to. That's what trials look like and what God has for us. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your word. God, uh, if someone's in the middle of a trial right now, God, I just I pray that your word would ring in their ears. God, I thank you for your faithfulness in the trials that we've been through in life. God, let us count it as joy as we worship you, Father. God, I thank you for this time this morning, for your word. God, let us be men and women who bring hope to this hopeless world. God, let us be your hands and feet. God, let us be a voice in the wilderness that preaches hope. God, I pray for these men and women, and, and, and I thank you for this church and the men and women in this church, God. And as, as they go, Father God, let them be the church. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You know, as we finish up before Kevin does a song, we want to receive communion and... Uh, there should be communion cups behind your chairs that you have there.
Bible says this, and the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that's been broken for you. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. And, and, and we do this in, in humility and we do this in setting our, our hearts right with Jesus. As you receive the bread, let it be a remembrance of what he's done for you, what he's done for you on the cross. It says he took the juice that represented the wine. He says, when you drink this, remember my blood. And, and this is a time we just, therefore there's no condemnation. We wash away those sins. We go, okay, God, we start anew and afresh. As you receive this juice that represents the blood of Jesus, let it be a time of its own. Start afresh. Start afresh. Father, I thank you for your son that we can walk in freedom. That we might have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.